Suffering is your boy Marty here to introduce this episode of TFTC. I was joined by Bota Jardamale and Luda Kozlowska, two human rights defenders on the front lines defending Bitcoin in the EU and the United States, pushing back against overburdensome regulations that are on the table right now, particularly as they pertain to proof of work and whether or not it should be able to exist in the EU. And it seems like here in the United States with the EIA, they're beginning, the government is, the regulators are beginning their march to try to do something with proof of work here in the United States to incredibly inspiring women really fighting to defend rights. Matt and I talk about it all the time on Rabbit Hole Recap. Rights aren't granted, they aren't given, they are taken and defended. We have taken our right to monetary sovereignty with Bitcoin. Now it is time to defend that right in Luda and Bota are on the front lines defending your right to Bitcoin, your right to mine Bitcoin, your right to accept Bitcoin in a peer-to-peer fashion, your right to use Bitcoin privately. It's really inspiring. I think you guys are going to like it. It was brought to you by our friends at River. River is the easiest place to buy Bitcoin, the best place to buy Bitcoin. They build their own infrastructure. They don't have any trusted third parties. You can DCA using River, and if you do, you're not going to pay any fees, so just set it and forget it. If you want to gift Bitcoin, they have River Link, which allows you to easily in the app say, hey, I want to give $500 worth of Bitcoin to my friend. It creates a link. You send your friend that link. You can text it. You can email it. You can write it on a piece of paper and hand it to them. They click the link. They put the link into their browser, and then they can easily sweep the $500 worth of Bitcoin or any amount that you put in $500. is just the example here that we're using. They can sweep it to a River account or a wallet of their choice beautiful way to get Bitcoin. Go to River for your stacking sats needs. It's the best exchange. It's the one I trust the most. Go to river.com slash TFTC. Sign up today. You're going to get $5 worth of Bitcoin. This trip was also brought to you by our good friends down the hole. Unchained. Unchained is also doing things the right way, building their own infrastructure. Their platform revolves around two or three multi-sig quorums. They have their vault product, which is a collaborative custody vault where you hold two keys, Unchained holds one best way to uh, to eliminate single points of failure in your custody model and have a, a fail safe with Unchained being in the key quorum. They have a Bitcoin IRA. Everybody's buying the ETF. So ETF flows. Historical. It's cool. It's cool. I'm not going to lie. You know what's cooler? Actually holding Bitcoin in your retirement account. The ETF is just an IOU. You can hold spot Bitcoin, hold UTXOs in a two or three multi-sig wallet in an IRA, and Unchained makes that possible. So if you have an IRA, you're thinking about allocating some of that to Bitcoin, I would highly recommend foregoing the ETFs for actual Bitcoin, actual UTXOs. Hit up the team at Unchained. Go to unchained.com slash consultation. Tell them the TFTC sent you. Ask them about their IRA and how you can begin rolling that over into Bitcoin in a self-custody fashion. It's a beautiful thing. They're doing many other things. They have a trading desk a lending desk. They're building out their network of keys. Future finance right down the hall here in Austin, Texas. Unchained.com slash consultation. Hit them up to learn more about everything they're building. This trip was also brought to you by ZapRite. I don't know if you heard Coinbase over the weekend was like, hey, Coinbase Commerce. Like, uh, yeah, if you try to send us Bitcoin and you don't have a Coinbase account, we're not going to accept it. We can't do that. They're completely fumbling the ball here. Luckily, we have companies like ZapRite, which makes it extremely easy to invoice for Bitcoin payments. What ZapRite is, 
is basically a connector software that allows you to connect any wallet that you use that you're comfortable with to their invoicing software and their accounting software and plug and, plug and play. So if you're a Strike user, an Unchained user, if you run your own node, your own BTC pay server, your own LND node, you go to zapright.com slash TFTC, set up an account, you connect your wallets, and you can easily send invoices, send payment links, create a point of sale system. They're connected to WooCommerce as well. They have an integration there. They just announced an integration last week with Square. So if you run a Square uh, point of sale, Square payments, you can, if you're using their commerce platform, you can plug Zap right in and begin accepting Bitcoin payments as well. Or excuse me, you can cl- plug your Square payment in. This is an important aspect of it. They accept fiat and Bitcoin alongside each other. You can connect Square payments, you can connect Stripe, connect ACH, your bank. And it's a beautiful thing. The best part about it, ZapRite never touches your Bitcoin. They're simply making it easy for you to accept, accept Bitcoin in the way that you want. Beautifully designed. All the metrics that you need. We're users here at TFTC. This is how we invoice uh, our advertisers. They can pay us some fiat or Bitcoin. I prefer Bitcoin. But if you have to pay us some fiat, ZapRite makes that easy. So go to ZapRite.com slash TFTC. Sign up today. And you're going to get $40 off their annual subscription. It's $25 a month. If you want to pay monthly, it's $240 um, a year. If you want to pay for the annual subscription, zapright.com slash TFTC. Use the code TFTC. You're going to get $40 off that annual subscription. If not you, then who? If you're a Bitcoiner out there, like, hey, like, where's the Bitcoin center? It's dependent on you. Begin accepting Bitcoin as a business. If you're a lawyer, a dentist, an accountant, a podcaster, a rancher, ZapRite makes it easy to accept Bitcoin. Go sign up today. This room is also brought to you by our good friends at Bitcoin Talent Co. Bitcoin Talent Co. is a recruiting firm built by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners. They understand Bitcoin development, mining, lightning, multi-sig, hardware. If you're a company building out the Bitcoin standard looking to hire, Go to BitcoinTalent.co. Tell them the TFTC sent you. They're going to find you the best talent. Andy, the co-founder, started Uber, built their team from uh, 100 to 10,000 people. He knows what he's doing. He's a Bitcoiner. He knows what you need. So go get the best talent. They're working with companies like Unchained down the hall and a bunch of others. And they're doing quite a good job. They have a flex product. If you don't need a full-time employee, you just need a designer, an engineer, a growth marketing guru or a part-time CFO, COO. They have that flex product for you as well. If you need part-time, you don't want to take on the expenses of a full-time hire. They can do that. So go to bitcointalent.co. Tell them the TFTC sent you. Go find the best talent in the world. Build out the Bitcoin standard. Time is nigh. Enjoy this rip. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Bota and Luda, welcome to the show. Hello, hello, everyone. 
Thank you so much for inviting us. Well, thank you for coming on. It's been nice uh, getting to know you two over the last month or so. I guess, Luda, we met in Nashville at the Energy and Mining Summit, which was a really cool event. And it was really cool to have you there, considering what you guys are working on in the EU. And I guess the topic of today is regulators, both in the EU and now the U.S., Exactly. really focusing on Bitcoin mining as something that needs to be taken care of. And you two are on the front lines in the EU to make sure that there isn't a proof of work ban throughout the European Union, which is on the table right now. So I guess we can just start with what is going on in the European Union? Why have they honed in on proof of work and what could happen if nothing is done in the next few months? Yeah. Allow me maybe to start a bit uh, also introducing myself, why we, uh, together with Bota and other activists, are doing this work. So first of all, I'm Human Rights Defender. I'm a president and founder of Open Dialogue Foundation. This is a human rights organization, international, uh, nonpartisan, and nonprofit organization. And uh, uh, we became a victim, a target of uh, um, attack, coordinated attack of three authoritarian regime back in 2018 because of our human rights work on international level. So we had all protection, like political protection, even President Macron, President of Germany, parliaments of France, uh, Belgium, Germany, and many others supported us. And with all this protection, we were not able to be protected financially. So regimes were able to weaponize our banking data, basically depriving us the right to have financial services in the heart of Europe. And this is the reason why we discovered and used Bitcoin as a tool to resist against transnational repression when authoritarian regimes abuse financial action task force recommendations and they grab your all financial data to prosecute your donors and recipients of the funds. As a consequence, our volunteers and our human rights defenders in authoritarian states were tortured, disappeared, or were imprisoned for many years. So for us, Bitcoin is something death and life tool saving life too. Uh, while, for example, we don't have privileges like most of uh, um, people living in, in democratic countries. And this is the reason why we educate regulators. This is the reason why we defend proof of work, which actually guarantee us as a human rights defenders, financially excluded people, um, the use of financial tool as a payment and as fundraising instrument. And this is the reason why also my colleague Bota and many other activists in our Building True Change Coalition, we bring this topic, uh, hearing all the time questions. Why you use Bitcoin? Why you uh, use this instrument if it's associated with the energy and actually security threats? It can harm environment. It's actually dangerous for our energy security. And I think Bota will mention actually what exactly we address right now. Yeah, thank you, Luda. Uh, yeah, I'm a human rights defender and a lawyer, and we've been working together with Ludmila for many, many years, uh, for almost 15 years. And uh, right now, it's one of the issues that we are working is, uh, this is what we call Bitcoin advocacy. So we, as the end users of Bitcoin, uh, we realize that it's absolutely necessary to defend um, 
Bitcoin and specifically proof of work in the European Union. It started with the European Union, but uh, I'll go to the US after. So uh, what Ludo already mentioned when uh, we were bombarded with these questions, how you use uh, technology that is bad for the environment, that is energy wasting. And so we started looking where this information is coming from, what's happening at the EU level. And we realized that there are two um, kind of major attack on um, Bitcoin consensus mechanism of, on proof of work, right? Uh, first of all, this is perceived by the uh, regulator, by the European Commission, by the um, European Securities and Market Authority, by the European Central Bank as um, energy wasting mechanism that is dangerous for the European energy security. And as well as there is an attack that it's uh, extremely dangerous technology for the environment, that it has a very uh, high carbon footprint, so it's bad for the environment. And uh, when we say that um, this is something that the ban of, Bitcoin, uh, of proof of work is on the table in the uh, European Union, um, everyone thinks that there will be some kind of bill that there would be specifically specific language that uh, proof of work is banned since January 1, right? But no, it's not how it works. The way how it works is that right now, um, so-called ESMA, ESMA is a uh, European Securities and Market Authority, is developing uh, sustainability indicators so this sustainability indicators for all uh, crypto assets activities and specifically for uh, Bitcoin consensus mechanism. And so they will be um, deciding, uh, they will develop a standard at what um, crypto assets uh, uh, so-called like sustainable, so good for the environment, or no, at least not bad for the environment, and what kind of crypto assets are not good, not sustainable. And the problem is that um, if we look at the narrative that exists at every level of the uh, European Union, we see that there is a very, very negative perception of the uh, Bitcoin mining. And I would say there is a certain, there is a really discriminatory treatment and a bias that existed the um, the institutions, because this is something that they are not doing the research asking like, like, like um, you, you, you know, voters that this is how it's used, etc. No, they are like already specifically uh, um, created this bias and the information, the sources that they are using, they are uh, something that uh, raise a lot of concerns. This is something that is not you know, peer-reviewed um, literature, right? No, it's usually something that is uh, some newspaper articles or re uh, reports that were specifically focused on negative externalities of Bitcoin. And uh, of course, we worry about this very much. We know that uh, the deadline is coming. It's the uh, 1st of January, 2021. Oh, 25, sorry, uh, that um, European Parliament is expecting a proposal from the uh, European Commission. And uh, so they will want to know what kind of um, 
cryptacid activity is considered to be sustainable and what is not. And if it's something is not sustainable, you have to remember that means that it's basically uh, that it's something that uh, the all the institutions, specifically European Central Bank, will create a disincentive to invest into that particular asset. And uh, th that's why it's very dangerous. And we see that the similar trends is happening in the US right now. And it's really in parallel uh, because you, you, you probably know that is, uh, the EU Energy Information Administration already started collecting um, information from crypto miners about their energy use. And they have specific deadline by which the information be uh, collected. It's uh, um, in, by the end of July 2024. And after that, uh, the um, Energy Information Administration will start publishing its reports, right? But we already see that there is a certain bias even in the way how they are um, started questioning the industry about the energy use. So we can say that the developments is happening uh, like on both sides of the pond. Yeah, it feels like the wall, not the walls are caving in, but it feels like the, the pressure is certainly on. And as you two mentioned, there's a ton of bias, a ton of discrimination. It's really disheartening as somebody I'm, I've been involved in the mining industry for six years now here in the United States. And it's abundantly clear to me uh, utilities providers, energy producers, that Bitcoin is additive to their operations. Bitcoin, just driven by pure economics, is there, Bitcoin mining, to take advantage of wasted, stranded energy sources to make these energy systems more efficient to the point where it's enabling producers and utilities companies to reinvest, to build up more reliable infrastructure. And it's particularly interesting that right now Europe's particularly and even the US to a certain extent have began using bias and discriminating against Bitcoin mining at a time when both our energy systems are, are relatively weak to where they were uh, only a decade or two ago. I mean, specifically in Europe, Germany being the prime example of a country that completely destroyed its energy system over the last 20 years and can use all the help it could get. And if action isn't taken in the next few months, they will completely block out a, a source of uh, energy efficiency in Bitcoin mining that could really help them make their grid systems more stable. It's, it's really insane. And then on top of that, like again, the bringing bias and discrimination to it, like we see outside of mining, just Bitcoin, in general, the, the line here in the United States, as I'm sure it is in Europe as well, is that Bitcoin's only used by criminals, drug users, uh, money launderers. And as you two explained earlier and have shown through your work with uh, human rights activists, like, no, it's actually enabling uh, human rights activists to uh, evade despotic governments. And in fact, like KYC, AML, uh, regulations that you want to thrust on everybody using a non-custodial wallet put them in danger because the despotic governments use these this information from KYC AML policies to target dissidents. 
Yeah, exactly. And I would like to say that uh, with a perspective of uh, what's happening in, both in US and EU, if you compare these two countries, in US, you at least have voices and very active uh, miners, uh, Bitcoin miners and Bitcoin community who educates regulators. But again, even with this work, when we've been last uh, two weeks in, in uh, uh, Senate and, and Congress, and also we met with State Department, with Financial Action Task Forces, uh, we conducted over 27 meetings uh, in person uh, during this uh, our, our advocacy mission in, in uh, DC. The first time heard how anti-money laundering regulation, how financial action task forces recommendation abused by dictators, how banking data weaponized not only in authoritarian sta states domestically, but the, uh, how they actually can be uh, all exposed in democracies. And we conducted the first round table for uh, crypto assets where we testified about uh, this unfortunate experience uh, as a consequences of this regulation from one side, but from other side, we provided recommendations and tools we use to resist against these transnational repressions of authoritarian regimes when basically IML, IMLs and CFT regulation is used as a transnational tool against opposition and everyone around us and civil society and human rights uh, activists, even abroad, not only domestically. So we see uh, actually positive uh, um, attitude. Um, so, for example, we were asked, OK, guys, what you want? And we said we want to have neutral language towards to, uh, to uh, Bitcoin and proof of work and actually peer-to-peer -peer transactions, privacy instruments like uh, mixers, because we have no other tools. and. Uh, um, we got a re response, okay, we need then uh, to have this dialogue. So if you go to, to bring their miners, for example, who will testify alone with you, how it's operate, will you, will you help us to understand it? And I think this is a kind of key, uh, key moment when we can bring voices uh, from one side as end users, those who use this technology, we're not perceived as lobbyists and we are not lobbyists. We just defend our human rights and Bitcoin, Bitcoin for us human rights because we don't have other instruments. And for many of us, it's a question of life and death. We don't have this privilege to choose, am I actually paying today with this credit card or this credit card? We just don't have credit cards. This is our reality. And uh, this is how we live. Um, so these perspective change narratives, and we need to remember that right now narratives are shaping our lives uh, and shaping decision-making process of uh, politicians. And we need to have voices of Bitcoiners from all over the world because EU is going to approach regulation to mining uh, in a global way as a G7 countries. So once it's adopted in EU, they want to use and boost this uh, methodology to, to other G7 countries. And we don't want to allow any democracy to use in a regulatory language negative association labeling uh, towards to Bitcoin or proof of work or peer-to-peer -peer transaction or any privacy instruments because it affects our life entirely. Imagine for us, the only instrument we have to protect political prisoners, victims of tortures, it's actually to have support of democracies, democratic governments. And if these democratic governments label the only instrument we have, how to deliver humanitarian aid, how to support families of political prisoners as illicit activity, as a threat to national security, energy security, environmental um, harmful, that means that authoritarian regime immediately going to use this 
against everyone who is using this instrument to receive our help. We don't want it. We don't want it to allow even to happen. And this is the reason why we educate, and this is the reason why we try to bring as much as possible awareness how and why we use uh, Bitcoin as a tool for uh, human rights and humanitarian aid. And uh, when we asked by regulators, okay, so, for example, they said, you know, we're we concerned because criminals uh, are using uh, Bitcoin uh, as an instrument. I said, of course, every technology can be used by bad actors and good actors. But we, as a good actors, we should have legal way how to use it. You should not punish us because some criminals using these instruments or provide us other instruments to operate in authoritarian states where most of people financially excluded for political reasons. And they have no answer what to provide us. And this is the reason why we think it's really important to educate right now when there is huge speed, when there is kind of, uh, you know, this wish to show results quickly, especially before elections in uh, uh, Europe, when the main demand from the society to deal with energy crisis and environmental crisis. And we don't want proof of work and Bitcoin mining be in general, just a scapegoat where it's easy to punish this technology because there is no voice in defense. We should not allow this. No. Rosa, do you want to jump in? No, no, I just, uh, Luda, Luda basically covered all grounds, <laughs> but I just want to say that um, how we present it to the regulator, right? When we say that this in, this instrument is used by uh, terrorists and money, uh, money launderers, right? But we as activists, we've been accused in money laundering, in, in being members of extremist terrorist organizations, in being threat to national security by uh, the regimes where we defend human rights. And uh, just kind of an example, once we walked into a meeting with the uh, um, people from the commission that were drafting the anti-money laundering regulations, and we wanted to discuss this problem of um, abuses of this uh, of this language uh, that, that is an instrument of money laundering and uh, financing of terrorism. Uh, first thing we ask, we ask them, have you ever met a real ter a terrorist or a money launderer? And they're kind of, no, of course not. In, you know, in our line of business, we don't really meet them. And we said, I'm a money launderer and accused of being money launderer and a member of an extremist uh, organization. Luda is uh, a threat of na uh, to national security and uh, uh, money launderer as well. We had uh, with us a person from Navalny Foundation. And we said that at that time they were um, they were foreign agents, terrorists, and money launderers. And so we had activists from all over the world in one room. And we all were labeled by dictators, by authoritarian regimes, that we are those criminals. But we are normal people, and we actually defend human rights. And we work with the institutions, and we explain, we, we, we kind of, being whistleblowers about the crimes committed by many regimes. So when you label a technology that is an instrument for money launderers, you, uh, you really create this bias. It's like the way how these authoritarian regimes create bias against us. And this is something that we want 
to fight against. And we have our examples. We can explain to the regulator what, what is happening. But at the same time, we need people from the industry explaining their side of the story, saying that, you know, these are the regulations. This is how they work. And if there is an article about this person, that this person is like, like committed some crimes, even if it's not proven, it, it's just a pure, pure piece of, uh, um, you know, fake news, right? They still going to take your bank account away because of the existing regulations. So what we need to do, we need to have people from the regulated industry and people like us to show the consequences or, um, to the regulators, the consequences of their actions, how people like us get financially excluded. Yeah, and the really disheartening thing about all of this is the two-tiered system that exists. I mean, the amount of money laundering that happens and is facilitated via the U.S. dollar far exceeds anything that Bitcoin does on a day-to-day, year-to-year basis or has done historically. And then like these same regulators that are really close with the banking and financial industry specifically let these banks get away with murder, sometimes quite literally, but figuratively, uh, mainly. I mean, we had J.P. Morgan settle... Uh, out of court with the U.S. Virgin Islands. They paid a $75 million fine so that they wouldn't have to go to court and have discovery uh, around the fact that J.P. Morgan was banking Jeffrey Epstein as he was laundering money for his sex trafficking operation, obviously famously with HSBC. In the Mexican drug cartels, they had uh, teller windows that had uh, slots where briefcases full of cash uh, could be pushed through by, by the drug cartels. They paid a small fine for that. And yet here comes Bitcoin, which isn't facilitating a lot of this. Yes, as you mentioned, both the criminals can certainly use it, but it's it's technology. They drink water. They use 2FA security as well. We don't throw these things and make them illegal because terrorists are using them. And it's what I toil with personally. Like, are these regulators just that lazy that they're willing to bring a sledgehammer and just smash anything that can be used by a criminal or are they more nefarious where they recognize the freedom that Bitcoin enables and they don't like that freedom because it doesn't allow them to exert control that they would otherwise like to have. And uh, that's where I see the sort of crossroads that we're at right now because we have Bitcoin here. It is one of the most freedom enabling technologies that humanity's ever come into contact with. And that really scares governments that, that like control and it's convincing them that, hey, you're going to have to be comfortable giving up control because freedom is more important than you controlling everybody's everyday life and what they do with their money. I think we still have hope anyways, because, um, I mean, we have concrete results, right? For the last two years of our advocacy for Bitcoin, in order to protect it uh, as a payment and fundraising instruments, we succeed to do so in EU. In European Union. So we have in upcoming anti-manual regulation actually recognition that crypto assets can be used as a fundraising instrument and actually payment instruments. We, hope, we have also provisions to defend uh, and protect financial data of both financial institutions and crypto asset services providers. And we also have a provision about abuse of anti-money laundering regulation uh, mechanism, especially disinformation to financially exclude people. 
So specific categories, refugees, civil society organization, even mentioned in a regulation. But it's not enough. And uh, unfortunately, G7 countries were not happy about our achievements. And this is the reason why we came to U.S. Uh, uh, two weeks ago to speak with uh, 27 representatives of regulatory bodies, both Senate, Financial Action Task Force, State Department, and, and Congress, uh, because the U.S. assumed from one side that they create domestic legislation. Right now, it's a process of um, uh, reform of anti-manual regulation and actually shaping crypto assets uh, regulation in U.S., but it's not true. Uh, whenever U.S. decides to shape uh, in a regulatory way domestically, it's affect entire world. And uh, when G7 countries, uh, U.S. demand, for example, were like say that, okay, we have to look into peer-to-peer -peer transactions, uh, self-hosted wallets as a, something what is threat to financial integrity, it's affect, of course, other democracies. And we afraid that our achievements here in EU will be questioned. So we need again to defend self-hosted wallets. We again need to defend mixers uh, as a privacy tools and uh, do this, um, uh, our work. And we cannot ignore it because, for example, yesterday in Damos uh, and Nostra, uh, we have discussion with some Bitcoiners and they said, you can just simply not comply. I cannot not comply because I get protection from uh, you. And, uh, for example, my life would be literally under threat if I would not get protected from the attack since 2018 by three authoritarian regimes. And, I, and I'm really grateful for being protected. But from other side, I protect another people, political prisoners, and uh, all of us, we need to have both support of democracies and we need to be able to use Bitcoin as a peer-to-peer -peer transactions, as a decentralized mechanism built on proof-of-work mechanism. So we need to provide security for developers of privacy instruments and also for uh, miners. If we don't succeed to do those uh, things, that means that we lose our the only instrument and luckily, we have seen uh, support from those regulators and legislators who are pro-human rights. Of course, you always have bad actors, like in every sphere. But how we succeed to have these changes, how we succeed to have on different national interparliamentary platforms, provisions that reflect uh, the use of uh, Bitcoin and stablecoins, uh, for human rights and uh, humanitarian purposes in the regulations for 57 member states, both North America, Europe and Asia, actually thanks to these people. So there are people and legislators who listen in us, but the problem is we need to bring more voices. We need them to educate, make face-to-face -face meetings where they can ask direct questions. They will never risk it to ask even online or publicly but they need to be able to, to get this information. It's an effort, but it's a safe effort because you cannot do this activity in uh, authoritarian states. Rem remind yourself what's happened in Kazakhstan back in January 2022 when most of miners were just cut off of internet. You know why it happened? It actually was the days when um, authorities of Kazakhstan employed Russian troops and domestic uh, troops to shoot peaceful protesters. They not only shoot freedoms, they shoot real people. They killed Bitcoin mining in Kazakhstan and they, they killed their citizens who were protesting for freedoms. So the same they do right now with peer-to-peer -peer transactions. In Kazakhstan, on the front of fighting against peer-to-peer -peer transactions and everything around self-hosted wallets, everything actually around uh, any kind of financial freedoms is the most of sophisticated actual regime 
able to lift sanctions from Russian banks in this country uh, in U.S. And this is all happening. And we ask questions to U.S. regulators. Okay, you want to have effective mechanisms towards to Russia to circumvent sanctions. Then change travel rule. Change assumption that you treat equally financial institutions of third countries, authoritarian states, and actually democracies. That you transfer in intelligence, financial intelligence knowledge from democracy to authoritarian states, which is not used against actually uh, criminals and, and organized groups or terrorists. Kazakhstan recognized Taliban as a legitimate government, but it's used against civil society in opposition. It takes three to five minutes to block bank account of oppositioner or civil society members who is fundraising for uh, actually, uh, you know, support of, of families of political prisoners. And this is our reality. And these arguments, they change perspective of those politicians who meet us and those who support human rights, because normally they want to support us, but they don't know how. And they don't know what is the role of Bitcoin, because you would not read it in the media where you do, will see that uh, media will write about uh, abuse of anti-money laundering and counterterrorism regulation. Have you seen, for example, maybe publications how, for example, act activists were deprived or immigrants deprived the right to have financial services in millions in democracies? There is no this kind of information. And this is the reason why it's so important uh, to work further on those achievements which we have. And we have a lot of achievements right now. We just know capacity to go and continue this work. And this is the reason why we came to Bitcoin and said, let's guys do it together because you are the same activists as us. Because Satoshi Nakamoto was the same freedom activist as us. He created and gave us this tool, but it's nothing for granted. You have to defend it. It's a basic human rights and human rights are dying if they are not defended. And we saw it many, many times. That's a very good point. Rights aren't granted. They're taken and defended and as it stands today with Bitcoin, we have to, we have Bitcoin, we're using it in a peer to peer fashion. We're mining pretty efficiently in, in many areas and we have to defend the right to do these things. And with that in mind, I know there is a pressing timeline here. So let's dive into like the particulars of what is in front of the European parliament as it pertains to proof of work, how long we have to, convince lawmakers in the EU not to do this and what will happen if it does or does not pass? Yeah, we have to work on several fronts, right? This is not just the European Parliament and in the European Parliament, we're actually um, going to have elections uh, in the summer of this year. So when the new European Parliament uh, comes um, and starts working in September, uh, we have to be already fully ready and we have to work by then with all um, European institutions. It means that ESMA, it means uh, the European Commission, it means with the European Central Bank. Uh, we have to work on those biases. We have to have the meetings. We really have to participate in the process 
um, of the developing this sustainability um, indicators that ESMA is doing. We have to demand the, uh, to meet with them with the, uh, together with uh, a Bitcoin mining community and with the experts on our side and um, address this issue, address this bias and really explain to them uh, our position and um, currently the all existing research. You know, right now when, when um, you say something that um, he, that uh, Bitcoin mining is actually can be um, helpful the, for the adoption of the renewable, it actually facilitates adoption of the renewable. This is something that nobody knows about it in the EU. And we have to come with uh, miners from all over the world. We really need to bring miners even from Africa uh, and demonstrate how they work there very successfully. And they not only um, facilitate adoption of renewables, they actually provide people with work there. They create electricity for the communities that otherwise would have not had electricity. And this issue is extremely important for the European Union. And we also have to work uh, at the level of the member states. Don't forget the European Union is a, is a, um, is a uh, 27 countries, right? Has 27 countries members, but we don't have to work with all of them, but it, uh, there are five key countries uh, that really um, affect uh, the, uh, both the energy policy and um, the environmental policy. And we have to work with the regulators there and we have to work with the parliaments there. So uh, this is uh, the best time to start. We really, we should have started two years ago, uh, but uh, you know, we just hope that everyone understands that the, the issue is quite pressing and we have to jump into it. And so what can anybody listening to this do to help you guys? And so we, we talked, we, particularly this show, a lot of people that listen to the show are completely disenchanted from politics, whether yeah. it's here in the U S or the EU, um, myself included to a certain extent. Like I have, mm-hmm this presupposition that the governments have too much control. They like that control and they're not going to give it up. But you two have been doing a good job over the last week convincing me that, again, these rights need to be defended. And we have seen here in the United States uh, when the government tries to overstep its bounds and infringe on Bitcoiners' rights to, to use Bitcoin in particular ways that we have submitted comments to FinCEN, the Treasury, basically saying, hey, this is way out of line. They have reacted positively. And I know the answer to this because we discussed it last week, but I think for anybody who didn't hear that conversation, it'd be valuable for them to hear it now. Do you have confidence that if action is taken to educate the EU politicians that proof of work could be saved in, in the EU? Yeah, I think we have all actually chances that we can protect uh, uh proof of work and uh, the way how we do it through submissions through uh, face-to-face meetings so what kind of submission for example we've done to FinCEN we collected testimonials of uh, all human rights defenders and basically met with a treasurer met with state department uh, and explained them of course you can have um, some ground to say that uh, this instrument can be used by criminals but please take into consideration that 
enormous amount of people financially excluded in most of countries at authoritarian states, we have no other tools and we need to have neutral language towards to technology. And we provided all set of recommendations, including actually travel rule reform and, and other things which I already mentioned during our discussion, what has to be changed. This is the first things. The second thing we want to do the same, what we've done, for example, providing uh, testimonials of Bitcoin and uh, miners, Bitcoin miner, oh, sorry, human rights, human rights defenders and Bitcoin miners um, to uh, EU institutions. We need to do the same uh, in US. So they also know who are and, and what is exactly social impact of Bitcoin mining, why it's so important, because they have no they don't see difference between proof of stake and proof of work. This is something uh, what not enough to be said uh, just in podcast, but it has to be written in a language understandable for regulators, which they afterwards could refer uh, as a personal testimonials, witnesses, statements of those who actually and users of Bitcoin, those who benefit from proof of work. And these testimonials, everyone who is listening uh, to this podcast, from where, no, no matter where you are from, please reach us out and uh, we will help you to shape these testimonials in a framework understandable for regulators. And it's one more step to defend uh, human rights and proof of work actually in, 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 in institutions. And it's doable, it's absolutely doable because we heard many times, bring us voices of minors, we, we're ready to hear them. So we have this wheel, we are very positive on this. Of course, it doesn't matter that there are no bad actors. There are bad actors because this false narrative exists. Someone created uh, them, right? But if we don't try to uh, combat them, uh, if we not uh, dismiss them, they will be the only one um, in, in this uh, area. And the third thing, we need to have capacity. We need as a non-governmental organization, a non-profit organization to have support, any kind of support, volunteers, financial support, whatever, we happy to cooperate and um, be a platform for voices as we always been for 15 years to EU and US regulators and, and uh, defend the only tool we have for financial freedom right now. Yeah, and um, I just would like to add that we hear it a lot that there's nothing can be done. We don't trust politicians. You know, politicians are crook, politics is dirty. And uh, for us, it's very uh, frustrating to, uh, to, to hear that in, in the US and in the European Union, um, because we believe this is, you have all the instruments. You really have to get engaged into activism. And you know, there are certain forms of activism and for some reason for a lot of people, it, it kind of um, created some kind of negative connotation but it's something that this is how exactly you can directly affect the policies if you are quiet why you you should think that the government should act in your best interest you have to show that you're a citizen you're a voter you have a position you organize yourself and you bring all these uh issues to the table uh, of the regulators and we really, we have activists dying to have that, literally dying, right? We just had this uh, horrible tragedy with Navalny in Russia, uh, dying in pre being killed in prison. And we have activists, um, opposition politicians in prisons all over the world. 
just to have, and they are all fighting to, uh, to have a right to kind of influence the policies of their countries. And you have that right. It's already right given to you by the constitution and existing laws. And for some reason, you prefer to ignore it and just not do much. Please, guys, wake up. We have a chance. We have a really serious fighting chance, and we have to uh, defend this technology. This technology that it's not only technology that bringing money to you, but this is technology that saves lives, and that's why we're willing to fight. We have the skin in the game, so we want you to join our fight. What is your hope in the long run if Bitcoin succeeds? Let's say we're successful. At defending proof of work, at defending the right to hold your own keys and to tr transact as privately as possible. What does the world look like in your mind on the other side of successes against these encroachments from the state? My success that no one's personal financial data would not be able to use to torture people, to kidnap. That one day I would not be wake up like I was wake up in 2018 by Bota saying that her brother was taken as a hostage because of weaponization of my and her banking data by three regimes. I hope it will never, ever happen to anyone. And uh, we would be able to manage our financial freedoms. We would have decentralized financial tool. I hope that people will understand that money responsibility, it's also knowledge that you should eliminate around yourself any financial literacy, and this is something your responsibility, not someone has to do it. If you enjoy financial freedom, if you enjoy any kind of freedom, that means that someone did this job centuries or maybe years ago, and we right now are doing the same in our countries. And European Union and the US, it's a safe countries for us. And Bitcoin is the only instrument for us, and that's why we defend it here. Oh. Yeah. And we will be able, like uh, for me, with this instrument, and this is something that Bitcoin will go mainstream, right? The, which is very important for us because then it will become um, an instrument for the civil society. And so the civil society will be able to raise financing, uh, to finance opposition in the countries where the banking system and basically uh, crypto service asset providers as well. They're just instruments of uh, law enforcement uh, of those countries, right? And they spy on people rather than being neutral uh, institutions. So uh, we believe that we believe in, in uh, Bitcoin, we believe in its power, and uh, we believe that the civil society around the world should adopt it. Let's dive into that example of the government using your banking information to kidnap your brother, but to what, like, just to give an example, a concrete um, example of how this happens, yeah, what, what happened? That, there? That, uh, concrete example is that um, I, I live in Belgium. I have uh, political asylum there, Kazakhstan, because of the work I was doing, defending political prisoners and uh, politically uh, prosecuted people and victims of torture. They were constantly attacking me. They tried to extradite me twice from Belgium. It didn't work. So they uh, tried to kidnap me from Belgium and three people were actually uh, sentenced in Belgium, uh, two Germans and one Russian. Uh, thanks to the Belgium federal police. 
but um, it didn't work. So what, what the government of Kazakhstan did, they sent a request, as a, it's called a mutual legal assistant request, request for the information. And they got my banking data. And banking data, what is like, think about what you have on your bank statement. You have all the information and you have all your contacts, basically, right? And they really can figure out who is your doctor, where you go, um, like where you stay if you travel. This is, and, and they can figure out you, even your family contacts well, because, because of the uh, transfers, right? And they looked at my bank account and they realized that, um, that the way how they, uh, they realized that I have a weak point and this is my family in Kazakhstan. And uh, my brother, my older brother, my parents lived there at that time, and my older brother. And uh, one day they just came, arrested my brother, and accused him in money laundering, which is like, was absolutely baseless. And um, then they, they said that we go, um, we're going to release you if you make your sister to go back to Kazakhstan. And my brother refused, and he was tortured for two months. Holy and only the, yeah, it's only because of interference of the Western politicians, of the members of the European Parliament, uh, members of the Senate and Congress. Uh, in the end of the day, my brother was released and he managed to leave the country. But basically, that, that's how it works. That's how uh, the abuse of anti-money laundering regulation is happening. And it's insane i'm sorry i had to go through that number one but it's just insane to me and this is probably why i don't like engaging in politics it's because everything they the government does i'm a big free markets anti-government i think the government makes everything worse uh, they print money and throw it at things that don't make sense they write these draconian laws and as it pertains to kyc aml like since 1970 one, I believe, on the Bank Secrecy Act here in the United States, which I think is the core of a lot of these problems that exist in the world of data collection for financial transactions stems from that law. And everything since then has just gotten worse. And despite the fact that all the KYC, AML regulation, all the travel rule regulation um, the, in a hyper-digitalized world has only gotten more and more stringent. Their ability to actually stop crime and money laundering has gotten worse and worse. I think something like 0.1% of global money laundering is prevented by KYC AML regulations and compliance actually catching people that are laundering money. It's completely ineffective. And as you just explained, like collecting this data and holding it insecurely and holding it in a way where despotic authoritarian governments can request that information at a moment's notice and you have to deliver it due to um, the information sharing that comes with complying with the travel rule. Like you can, you just put a lot of people in harm's way and there's this obsession with personal identifying information collection that the governments have that is completely counterproductive to the goals that they're claiming they want to achieve, which is, reducing financial harm and they're actually increasing physical harm by trying to reduce the financial crimes which it's just like all right guys this obviously isn't working like you have to figure out a better way become better police and investigators to stop actual crime you, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and just do 
a wide swath mass surveillance of everybody and put everybody at risk. Like that's the point we're getting to. And despite the failure of these policies to actually stop the crimes are claiming they want to stop. They keep doubling, tripling, quadrupling down to the point where they want a digital ID, which is just going to make things much worse. It's coming. It's coming. Uh, digital ID is coming. CBDC is coming. And it's actually, you will be surprised how it's uh, very much welcomed and embraced by authoritarian countries, which gives you a little bit of information how it's going to be misused. And again, unless we say something, uh, unless we resist, uh, unless we limit um, the ability of the government to uh, implement those policies, nothing will change. Sorry, Martin, no, this is life. It's, you can uh, hate the government as much as you want, but <laughs> this is the existing evil, right? It's necessary evil. Yeah. And it's very easy to hate it when you, you enjoy certain security, mm-hmm. right? You enjoy protection of the uh, of the, your property rights. But in a lot of countries, people don't enjoy that. They don't have this privilege. So you're lucky and you have a lot of other privileges. You should use them to defend your rights. Yeah, exactly. You cannot do safely even this kind of discussion in authoritarian states. We just all will be killed or will be paid in prison or will be tortured or sentenced for many years. You know, our families will be taken as hostages. The difference between authoritarian states and democracies, no matter how we love them or not or hate them, that we have tools and we can operate safely, like relatively safely. Of course, there is always certain anyways uh, backfire. But uh, anyways, it's a... I can conduct advocacy and have this open dialogue with regulators and legislators, can criticize them saying that, guys, your regulation is killing me. Please help me. Please actually introduce my re- uh, recommendations. And they doing it while, for example, in authoritarian states, I would not even able to share posts on Facebook or like this kind of information. This is enough to basically eliminate me. And this is the reality. So it's about our choice just to complain or just to take this power what you have because because you are citizen of you because you are citizen of us canada uk and other democracies and actually say hi guys you represent my interest and i'm not agree with you actually i want to use bitcoin as a legitimate instrument you don't understand what is proof of work what is p2p transactions what is social good for it listen to me and they will listen to you and this is your power and going back to what you said earlier about narrative being very powerful, that's one thing I think Bitcoiners have gotten wise on, particularly in the last five to six years, is mm-hmm. we got to tell better stories. And it's very important in this information battle that we're in, because at the end of the day, this is really what we're engaged in is an information warfare for the hearts and minds of the individuals who will either step up to defend their rights or let the government and the regulators run over them. And that's why I think the active, the activism that you two are engaged in is extremely powerful because it's somewhat of an ironclad narrative. Like Bitcoin literally saves lives and protects people from authoritarian governments. And I think that's something as an industry we've gotten better at, but really need to perfect is this narrative to the masses which is an optimistic future, a future of abundance, a future of 
uh, equality of opportunity, equality of access, um, equality of being able to attain a monetary good that is not debased and will preserve your purchasing power over time. There's very good optimistic lines that we can run with that, that paint a, a very optimistic future with Bitcoin at the center of it, whether it's the open source network, the scarce money supply, or the integration of the mining industry with the energy sector, making it more robust. So more people can have access to more reliable, cheaper energy at the end of the day. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And just one little thing I would like to add. It's uh, please, please don't paint all the politicians with one black paint. You know, there are a lot of people that really, truly believe in human rights, that truly believe in financial freedoms, that truly believe in economic freedoms, that try to limit the like in fighting uh, against, um, you know, kind of growing interference of the state, you have to find them and you have to help those people because you kind of, you are the power that's going to feed them. Uh, you have, we have all the data that we need on our side. We just really have to bring the, uh, this data to the right people and that will be their weapon and they will be fighting for us as well. Yeah, we can't have Alex De Veers, uh, the the Dutch central bank <laughs> little minion, in his terribly written paper for D- the Digiconomist or whatever it's called, being it's, the go-to you know, source. We succeed to have changes in one of the most, uh, I would say, um, black um, box organization, Interpol. So it's an organization which unites all uh, ministries of interiors uh, of the world. Of course, most of the ministry of interiors of the world is authoritarian, but nevertheless, we fight it for reform. Uh, and actually, again, I would say that abuses of this important police instrument, uh, instrument was uh, thanks to actually open doors from the anti-Manilonian counter-tourism regulation. So this is the first stage how all politically motivated uh, accusations happening on this basis and then Police institutions, banking data is easily given to, to, to hands of dictators. So we succeed to the reform of this institution. So we strongly believe that we can do changes also there. Everyone was laughing at us saying, Oi, girls, you going to change as you see in this room only, uh, like, you know, privileged uh, ministers uh, from uh, all of this dictatorship. Do you think they will listen to you? But we luckily had voices and support of legislators from democratic countries who, as Boda said, really believe in human rights. And we did it. We did it. It's fact. So right now you have clear procedure how to defend your rights, not to be in this black box. And even if you became a victim of abuse of Interpol, you have clear procedures how to remove yourself from there and even to demand compensation. We have to do the same with abuses of anti-manual regulation. We have to do the same with protecting, labeling Bitcoin with any kind of uh, these uh, false uh, accusations. Yeah, maybe these politicians that I'm talking bad about that want to do not bad things necessarily, but want more control. Maybe they depend on the complacency of the average Joe, of the common man, to just sit there and be like, oh, it's fine to be like, hey, if they're not going to do anything, we're just going to take these rights. I think that's a big problem we have here in the West, specifically the United States, is the populace here has become a bit complacent, literally fat, a bit dumber, complacent, resting on our laurels, that we just sit 
a lot of people just sit by and get pushed around and they'll complain on social media, but really don't do anything at the end of the day. And that's one of the biggest killers of freedom is apathy exactly. and complacency. Yes. And as a person who was once on the Interpol most wanted list. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> that, you should take pride in that. That's pretty badass. I confirm everything what Luda just said. and But it happens to many of us because this is, you know, people don't realize how the Interpol works as a bulletin board, right? And any authoritarian regime or dictatorship can just put your name and voila, you are wanted by everyone. Yes. It's, it, it was the kind of institution that was easily, easily abused, but uh, we changed the narrative. And so we can do the same with Bitcoin. Even more, you complain about democracies, right? So I had this case, one of three countries uh, which actually abused my rights and again abused anti-Manilone and counter-terrorism regulation, it was Poland. And you know, Poland is a member of European Union, right? Um, it gets really strongly to the side of uh, authoritarian regimes, the same like Hungary right now. Um, but in, in like six years, they were classified me as a threat to national security. I'm not joking. Like special services of Poland classified me as a threat to national security with no ground. And I was banned to enter EU for two weeks um, until the moment when parliaments of uh, Germany, Belgium, France, and many other institutions, President Macron, President of Germany, stand on, uh, on my rights, also former uh, prime minister of Belgium. And they granted me, while well, I was threat to national security in Poland, national interest in their countries. And we succeed to change narrative. We succeed to actually expose how authoritarian regimes or democracies, which started to abuse their power, able to manipulate, uh, you know, the threat to national security accusations towards to critic, uh, critic, crit critics, uh, critic people like me. And we change it. So now everyone who is uh, uh, treated in the same way like me, they have a number of protection uh, tools, they have remedies, and they can easily defend their rights. And I'm not only uh, defended rights of myself, I actually, together with my team, established a mechanism which was adopted and supported by many human rights uh, legislators and regulators in the EU. So it's, again, one more example that everything is doable. And we have a lot of tools in our hands, but we need not just to complain in social media. We need to come to meet with them and say, this is my proposals. This is my argumentation. And if you are speak with argumentation, you go in to defend your position. We proved it so many times and we're happy to do it to actually defend Bitcoin. Unfortunately, we cannot do uh, all of those things without help. We need, yes. uh, we need the community behind us and we really need people to get engaged because to do this type of changes, you need a lot, a lot of participations uh, from Basically, not only from activists, that part, you know, uh, we, we know how to speak with the activists and, and activists are ready to fight. But we need uh, help from uh, Bitcoin miners, from uh, industry experts that will come and meet with the regulators, meet with the politicians and uh, be willing to provide their testimonies. And then we can do a lot of things. Yeah. You guys are pretty badass. Interpol's most wanted. 
fighting back against all these governments. I was removed removed from the database when Interpol realized that it was uh, politically motivated. And I'm also not a threat to national security anymore. I'm not classified like this anymore. And then I have to apologize. You guys have a lot of stories to tell. This is gonna be it's gonna be fun decades from now when we look back. Bitcoin has succeeded. We've uh, we've rooted out a lot of the evil in the world, and uh, it was hey yeah I was uh, I was on the Interpol most wanted list. I can't say that. I'm here in America. They have not come anywhere close to that list. It's pretty badass. Do you guys? I mean, it's pretty heavy. Everything you're working on, putting yourself in the crosshairs of a lot of very powerful governments around the world how, what keeps you going how does uh the stress how do you not succumb to the stress of all the things sometimes, that you do yeah sometimes it can be extremely extremely difficult especially uh you know it's it's not the difficult part is not dealing with the uh, democratic regulators or members of the parliament the difficult part like for me the most difficult part when we work on the cases of torture that probably the most difficult, emotionally draining. And we have a lot of, unfortunately, we have a lot of experience of working in those cases. And, um, you know, sometimes we need even professional help, like therapies yes. and stuff, because it, it's, it's very hard. You, um, you know, it takes time for a person to start talking for a victim of torture, and you have to go with, uh, with him through like step by step, step by step to kind of to get all the information on paper. It's it's extremely painful and then it haunts you for a long time. Uh, but uh, I think we uh, we do it because um, we really uh, you, you kind of you feel this um, internal uh, gratification you understand why it's important. You see how you change life. You see how you change life, not only of that person, but uh, that person's family members. Um, we have each other's support. That, that, that is very important from, uh, you know, like our, our community of activists. You know, we never work on any issues alone. We always have a, a group of people, a coalition. So we work on this Bitcoin advocacy issue as a coalition. But uh, on other subjects, we work as different coalitions as well. So that helps, kind of a network. Exactly. In my case, um, I used to have experience as a teenager how it's so important that there are people defending, ready to come in to defend uh, your family member who is taken as a hostage because of not agreeing paid, for example, corrupt deals or for criticizing the government. And we just see this light in the tunnel and someone said, yeah, no worries. You can actually meet your brother in a hospital. He's back from being taken hostage. And uh, I think the most difficult for all of these cases when our relative suffers. And I wanted to be since the time... Um, this kind of hope just to other people who need this help um, and actually to provide this help. So I think this is something, no matter what's happened with me, I try to actually um, to overcome it. It's easier when it's something happened with me, actually, because I also distance myself uh, from my case. Uh, It's not easy. It's just like easier when your relatives taken as a hostage. 
yeah. think Bota will agree with me that you can actually, as person responsible for your activity, overcome difficulties. You know what kind of mechanism you have, but you feel completely like paralyzed sometimes when your family members, your close people are taken as a hostage uh, and, and you need to release, you need to do all efforts. This is, I think, the most difficult. Yeah. Yeah, again, I can't imagine that. I mean, being an American, not having to really put myself out there to that extent. I mean, yes, I have a podcast and a newsletter and website where we do talk bad about the government, their policies, and all that. And I, luckily, despite whether or not I believe America is as free as it maybe should be, I do have the ability to do this without having to worry about any of that. So it is something that I and certainly many other Americans definitely take for granted. And it's really um, grounding to speak with you too and learn more about your experiences because it is insane that people have to go through this on a daily basis all throughout the world. Yes, and most of the countries are authoritarian. So what are you doing, actually, I would not say that it's absolutely, uh, you know, it's, it's important work because you, you criticize, you see you have a right to criticize and you exercise in your right. Now do one step more. Actually try to extract from those who represent your interests, even if you don't like them, that they follow actually your recommendations and you can do it. You have all instruments in your hands and we're happy to actually assist and be this platform say who is actually pro-human rights because we work for them for mm-hmm. with them for over 15 years and we're happy to do it both in us and you and i'm sure that we can do beautiful things together i agree we're gonna win we have to we're, we don't have other chance <laughs> we have to win and with <laughs> yes, that in mind exactly. is there anything we didn't touch on that we should touch on before we wrap up any information Anything is pertinent that anybody listening to this has access to any calls to action? I mean, call to action, support us. And uh, mm-hmm. remember, guys, everyone who is developing more and more accessible freedom tools, financial freedom tools for such people like us, we love you. Really, we love you. And we want you to actually support us as much as possible. Bring your old technologies. We need to educate as much as possible people. We want to define proof of work. We know how to do it. Let's do it together. Give us your testimonials. Give us your support. And let's do it together. Yeah, and when you say that uh, Bitcoin is an instrument of freedom, remember us, it is an instrument of freedom. And really, we need you, your help to defend this instrument. Yeah, let's do it, freaks. We're going to link to both your profiles in the show notes, a link to your website, and get active, freaks, whether it's in the EU because a global audience, any of you EU freaks listening to this right yes. now, let's get active. Yes. And here in the United States, um, send your submissions in, push back. Yeah, I think exactly. the FinCEN, the FinCEN comments that went through last month, uh, yet to be determined whether or not they convinced the government to, to back off of, of what the treasury would like to do, but we shall see. I think it was very mm-hmm. powerful to keep doing it, engage where it makes sense and just bring, that's the thing. We have the data on our side. We have, exactly. we have the truth on our side. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We need to bring that data. Yes. 
So, and one last thing, if you are in Madeira and if you are BTC Prague conference, reach us out. We happy to meet you guys in life. And I yeah. think more people from US has to come to EU because otherwise we have limited capacity to come to US. So we'd love to meet you in person, get these testimonials. We will do meetings. Last time we've been in Prague, uh, also meetings in the parliament. We will try to organize things uh, also this time. So we would love to do it. Reach out. Yeah. Let's go. All right. Bota, Luda, thank you for your time. Thank you thank for doing you what so you're much. doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Keep thank crushing you. it. Peace and love, freaks. Sticky.